Welcome to this brand new episode of the Marketing Technology Podcast. This podcast is hosted by Mark van Horek and myself, Elias Krum, and brought to you by Marketing Guys, the MarTech agency based out of the Netherlands. Welcome to this new episode of the Marketing Technology Podcast, on which we today have Mark, Mark Raffan. He's the CEO of uh, Content Callout, but he's also the host of two podcasts, so a fellow podcast host. Um, one on uh, on content and the other one on negotiating. So please introduce yourself a little bit further, Mark. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having, having me. I, I really appreciate it. I really love your show. So it's a great pleasure to be here. Um, I am the founder of the Content Callout, which is a content B2B content marketing firm. So what do we mean by that? that blogs, white papers, case studies, um, social media content, videos, that kind of stuff. Any kind of content production that you want to do for your B2B content um, needs, we do. And then I also own another organization called Negotiations Ninja, which is a negotiation training and coaching business. Both of those businesses have podcasts, as you mentioned, uh, and we teach people how to negotiate in one of them, and we teach people how to do content marketing in the other. So yeah, that's us in a nutshell. Cool, cool. I noticed on uh, one of the interviews you did before on the Negotiations Ninja podcast is the interview with Chris Foss. And yes. to the people that that doesn't ring a bell to, you know, Chris Foss wrote um, one of the best books on negotiation ever, I might say, uh, Never Split the Difference. And it's one of my favorite books. So please tell me more about that interview. How did that go? What were the main, main you know, takeaways. Uh, tell us more. Yeah, we've had Chris on uh, three times on the show, and he's he's an amazing guest, and he's a really really great guy. Uh, he's had some crazy crazy experiences, and the stories I think are the best part of the conversations with him because he can talk from a level of experience on negotiation with regards to hostage negotiation and all that kind of stuff that is different than a lot of people. One of the things that's clear that both Chris and I agree on is that we don't, uh, neither of us believe in the whole concept of win-win negotiations. Mm -hmm. Because win-win negotiations presuppose that they're, you're, you're coming in with the idea that win-win is a thing that actually makes sense. And it doesn't. And I know that sounds controversial, but when I back it up, it'll make sense. So win-win presupposes that the total value of a deal can be completely known which most of the time it cannot because there's always additional things that get added, expanded, removed, other parties that come in. And so it's difficult to know what the complete value of a deal is. It also presupposes that the value of that deal can get split 50-50, which is almost impossible in any mm -hmm. kind of commercial negotiation. And it also presupposes that if the counterparty has less leverage or less ability than you, that you should advocate for the counterparty's needs so that they get the 50%, which is also something that doesn't happen in the real world. So win-win is, is, a, is a fallacy. It's a farce. It's nonsense. And uh, him and I agree on both of those things. Cool. We also disagree on a few different things. I, I, he says, hey, you should never split the difference. You should never compromise. And that makes sense when you view negotiations from the, 
the context of where he's viewing negotiations from, right? Like in a hostage negotiation, you can't really split the difference on hostages. Mm-hmm. You can't say, hey, give me five and kill three and then we'll call her a day. No, no big deal. No, obviously he can't do that. So he can't do that in his negotiations. But in commercial negotiations, we compromise on sometimes very, very important things. And sometimes we have to compromise. A perfect example of this is uh, limitations of liability conversation in a commercial contract, right? If you look at the limitations of liability contract, if both parties are coming into it on pretty equal footing, neither party generally walks away from a limitations of liability clause feeling really, really good about it, right? Both parties generally walk away feeling like they've conceded more than they would like. But in order to get the much bigger deal through, they've had to both make concessions on limitations of liability to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And so whenever people talk to me about anyone that we've had on our show, I always say, think about the world that that person comes from, and then use that as the lens to view the advice that they're giving you. Chris Voss, for example, sort of that that hostage negotiation type of work. Uh, others come from sort of M&A backgrounds. Others come from sales backgrounds. Others come from procurement backgrounds. We've had people on who do suicide hotline negotiations. So a number of different expertise, and it's all good. And that's the thing is like, it's it's all good information. It's all good knowledge to have things that you should be integrating and trying out. And also look at it through the lens of where that person comes from. I could talk for hours about this topic and Chris Falls and, and negotiating, et cetera, because it's it's fascinating. It's a fascinating it topic, but we're on the marketing technology podcast today. So we're going to talk about content. You're rather uh, 50% of where, where your interests are. Um, B, B2B marketing content where where are there to start with b2b marketing content to to um well maybe lay a little foundation here for for the show but is there has there changed a lot in b2b content recently are there any developments that you would like to share that have maybe been 2022 developments or that you saw coming into the game like the, the last few years or month Yeah, I would say in the last, uh, this is such a good question, in the last couple of years, B2B content marketing has grown substantially because we didn't have events uh, that our events teams could go to, right, and develop events for it. And typically that's where a lot of marketing dollars would be spent. And what we've seen is a lot of that marketing event money has gone into B2B content marketing. So if you're a B2B firm, Uh, You're a consulting firm, you're a B2B SaaS company, you're a tech company of some kind, and you've been previously spending money on going to conferences and events and all that kind of stuff. That didn't exist in the last two years. And so we've seen a big flow towards content marketing and utilizing content on social, on email, on our websites to be able to communicate with our customers because we haven't had that communication channel as best as we've had it before. And so we've seen it grow substantially. The other thing that's been really interesting over the last um, little bit more than two years is the advancement of artificial intelligence when it comes to content creation. And so now there are artificial intelligence 
um, natural language processing engines that can help create a lot of content that previously only humans could create. And it's very, very interesting to see the advancement of that in the marketplace. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the importance of content in the B2B marketing space is, is enormous. So um, from, from my experience, and this is something we're going to talk about in this podcast, um, the, the quality of content has to, be, has to be great, but there also has to be a certain amount of content. So you have to be pretty high, high producing in terms of content when you're a B2B marketing company or a B2B company. Um, and I see a lot of companies struggle with, with the question whether they should ask their own people to write blogs, write white papers, uh, produce podcasts, uh, shoot videos, et cetera, or to, to outsource that. What's your take on that? I think ultimately it comes down to whether or not you have the people to be able to do it and also whether or not you have the bankroll to be able to afford an internal team. If you're a large enterprise company like an Oracle or an SAP or an organization like that, look, you've got loads of money so you can build an entire content marketing department with all the content marketers that you need and the video and everything like that. And that's great. But if you're a mid-market um, or a small B2B organization, you probably can't afford what Oracle can afford. So it's probably a good idea for you to outsource that. And I say that because building the capacity internally and developing the strategy and moving in the right direction can burn a lot of time mm -hmm. at the beginning and having an organization come in who knows what they're doing and can hit the ground running with the strategy that you need with ideas with how you're going to approach your b2b content marketing can make a world of difference in in how you approach it and and what content you produce and how you engage with your target customer and how, how fast you produce, probably. Yeah, absolutely. You know, sometimes we get stuck in um, the, the old saying is analysis paralysis, mm -hmm. where you've got you know, five, maybe six people internally that need to review and approve something before you decide to go live with it, which is insane. It's a, it's a crazy amount of bureaucracy and that amount of time that's required to not only write that internally, which generally takes a lot of time internally rather than externally, because externally you're being written by professional writers and internally, generally speaking, they're being written by the, the person that you would have sort of be the author of that. And then also the review process takes a substantial amount of time. And so the benefit of having someone external to be able to do it is the speed at which you can produce that content. Mm -hmm. The cool thing about that is that the quality never has to go down because hopefully you contract with an organization that has a really good editing process that can make sure that that quality stays high. So immediately two questions pop up in my mind here. Um, first one um, being based on what you're saying here is about, about the reviewing processes and you know, multiple people and layers and people that need to sign off, et cetera. Um, content often is a very subjective um, yes. a marketing a, a part. 
Um, a lot of online marketing stuff is very measurable and and everything is is very it's, it's either black or white you know it, 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 it's it's very objective how do you so my first question here is is how do you make this whole content production more objective and the second one that that popped up in my mind is how do you select the right agency now to to help you with producing that content that's a really good question and content can be really really subjective you're absolutely right especially when you compare it against other types of digital marketing, right? If you're Mm going to compare it to like PPC or any kind of lead gen efforts, um, even sometimes SEO, you're like, wow, this is, I mean, you could go either way with it. And so what I recommend for a lot of people is they, they break it down into objective intentions. I think that everything in content marketing first starts with intention and the intention should always be, who are we trying to speak to, right? Answering these questions. Who are we trying to speak to? Who are we trying to communicate with? And if you can answer that question first, everything else becomes significantly easier because that forces you into the very difficult position of saying, well, you know, which ICP are we trying to reach out to, first of all? Which target customer within that ICP are you, we trying to speak to? And then are there any surrounding target customers, influencers of that potential target customer that we're trying to speak to as well? Niche is always better, in generally speaking, in content marketing. Don't try and speak to everyone. Just try and speak to one person. And that's a tip that I can give for any aspiring writer or any aspiring person who wants to do any kind of content marketing within their organization. Don't try and speak to everyone. Just try and speak to one specific person. So first thing, figure out who you want to speak to. Then figure out where they are. Where do they hang out? Generally speaking, if it's um, if you want people to come to your website for SEO purposes, you're going to do some sort of long-form written content, but it's got to be more engaging than that. So it's got to include maybe some video. It's also got to include some infographics, some things that they can actually consume on an ongoing basis. Or you go to the B2B social network, which is LinkedIn. So you're producing content for LinkedIn. So where are they? Where do you, where do you want them to be? And where are they hanging out? Where are they going to consume the content? And how do they consume the content? Do yourself a favor and reach out to your existing customer base and say, hey, we're thinking of producing this type of content. Do you think you would consume it? Do you think you would read it? Is there another format that you'd like to see it in? Where do you think you might consume it? If we sent it to you on an email, would you read that email? If we posted it on LinkedIn, would you read that post? If we gave you the link to our website, would you come to our website and consume it? Gather as much market intel as you can about consumption habits of your existing customer base, and then use that as a starting point. And then test vigorously. Try something out for three to six months. And if it doesn't work, try something else. Don't get stuck in one way. Now, there's always going to be a base that you need to be able to create in content marketing. And when I say base, it's for the purpose primarily of SEO relevance. So yes, there are some long form pieces of content that you'll have to write and some blog posts um, and some topic clusters and and all that kind of stuff that you'll need to be able to develop because you want to start ranking for the keywords that you want to be competitive for. 
and also remember that the goal is for people to read that stuff. So don't do the keyword stuffing, make it readable, make it consumable, make it stuff that people want to read, and then use that to spin out a multitude of different types of things. So you can use a long form piece of content, like a pillar page, maybe 3,000, 4,000 words, and spin that out into social media content, spin that out into video ideas, spin that out into um, graphics that you may want other people to consume. So I would say start with the long form stuff first, and then um, spin out the short form stuff off of that long form stuff. What that does for you is it helps to create a through line, a very clear through line from top to bottom in terms of the strategy that you're trying to do. It also helps to create congruency in terms of voice and tone and topic. And it also helps to reduce the amount of work that you may have to do. Because a lot of people think of from bottom up, they think short form content for social media, and then they think to themselves, well, now I've got to write a blog post. Start the other way around, start at the top, and then spin down to the bottom. So long form mm -hmm. content first and spin that out into short form. Okay, very well. So um, those, those uh, tips answer my first question. The second question <laughs> that I had was the, um, uh, how to select an agency. So yes. let's say you would like to, let's say um, people are not Oracle because there's only a few Oracles. Um, That's right. uh, <laughs> and they don't have their own content team. And yes, they have decided and they have allocated some budget um, to, to produce content. And there is a zillion companies producing content. There's That's a lot right. of freelancers. There's, so what, what are some of the criteria you would, you would take to consider an agency or to, to, to judge an agency on? Yeah, I think one of the top things you need to consider is does this company that I want to contract have experience producing content for my industry. So uh, if you're in the healthcare space or you're in, let's say the logistics space or the accounting space, think of that industry and then think of, okay, does this person have, or this company have experience producing content for this industry? Do they understand the nomenclature? Do they understand maybe a bit of the jargon that goes with it? Because each industry has its own jargon. Now, what you may find is that they can get a writer that is able to produce content for that specific industry, and that's great. But get them to produce a free blog post for you and just say, look, I'm interested. I want to be able to pursue this, but I want to see what the quality of work is like. Get them to send samples for you as well, saying, you know, send me some samples of work that you've done in an industry like ours but then also get them to do that free blog post for you because then you'll be able to really see the quality of work for that specific industry. And that'll make things a lot easier in terms of selection. The other thing that you have to start thinking about very clearly when you select an agency is what is their editing process? Because it's all good and well to write something, but it's another thing entirely to ensure that the writing gets to you that's of high quality so that you don't have to do a lot of work when it comes to redlining that content. So what I would recommend is make sure that you understand their editing process internally. For example, we have uh, a very extensive two-step editing process 
where once it's the piece is written, we edit for SEO, plagiarism, grammar, spelling with our editor, and then it goes to the project manager for that account, and they edit for tone, and then it goes to the client, and then they edit it and send it back to us, and we make those changes. So you want to make sure that the piece that you get is as close to finished as it could be with the editing process in hand. And then, of course, the last piece that you should consider is how much is this going to cost you? Because you want to make sure that you do things in a cost-effective way, but try not to do it on the cheap. Because what we found with a lot of organizations is they go to companies that we call content chop shops, mm-hmm, <laughs> where, mm-hmm. where they produce you know, a lot of content. The volume of content is, is extensive, but the quality of content is low. And so you probably would have been better off paying a little bit more to get a higher quality piece of content that helped you to save the editing time that you had and maybe included a lot of the jargon and nomenclature for that industry. So I would just say be cautious with your dollars, but don't be too cautious that it forces you to pick the cheap option because rarely does the cheap option work. I love the advices you, you, you're giving here, Mark. The, the, the final question that I have before we end this episode um, and that listeners might have as well is could you give some examples of very high-performing B2B marketing content? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, LinkedIn, I think, as a platform is a fantastic place for you to get really, really great reach, and that reach could be really targeted. And what a lot of people don't understand, uh, or maybe sometimes forget about content or marketing in general, the success of your content is really dependent primarily on two things. Number one, the quality of the content, meaning is it engaging? Is it entertaining? Is it educational? Does it teach the customer something? Is it something they wanna consume, right? So the quality of the content. And then number two, the eyes on that content. So are people actually reading it? Are people actually consuming it? And the eyes on that content is a function of the strength of your organic distribution. So are you distributing it on your website? Do you have good technical SEO? Um, Are you sending it on your email, typically um, your social media, so organic distribution, and then paid distribution. So are you putting paid marketing dollars to distribute that content to your target audience? Um, And where a lot of people fail is they say, well, I want to write some blog posts and some guides and pillar posts. I say, fantastic. That'll help you in six months from now when you start to rank for those keywords, but what are you going to start to do between now and that time to get that message out? You've got to think about putting paid marketing dollars behind the content that you're distributing because the goal of the, of the content is to be read. You want people to read the content. So if you're just developing it and hoping that people read it in three to six months from now, when it starts to rank, you're, you're really missing a lot of time in between. So put budget aside 
for the distribution of that content, not just the creation of that content, but also the distribution of con that content. And then think very clearly about where you're going to distribute, right? Is it going to be paid on Twitter? Is it going to be paid on LinkedIn? Is it going to be paid on Google? Maybe even Reddit, depending on where you are and who you're trying to reach out to. So I would say just think very clearly about both of those things, the quality of the content and the distribution of the content. And that's how you get high performing content. And LinkedIn's always going to be amazing, especially for organic because the reach is insane. But also when you're on LinkedIn, think about using your personal profile to distribute that, not just your company page, because on average, the personal profile of the senior leaders of the organization one profile generally gets 5x the reach that a company page does. So if you think that you're going to do that across maybe three different profiles, now you've got 15x the reach that your company profile does. So just remember that you should be utilizing your personal profiles as well as your company profiles. Mark, thank you very much for sharing all this very valuable info. Um, Listeners, uh, again, this is Mark. Uh, he's the CEO of the Content Callout. I will share a link to to his website but you know when you're into if you're into negotiating also listen to his negotiating podcast and negotiation ninja podcast he's also got the content call out pod podcast so um i i will share those in the in the show notes as well um, and, and elias i i do have um an offer for your listeners if you don't mind i don't mind so go ahead um, if you have heard this podcast and you think to yourself, gosh, I'd like to try this content marketing thing out, maybe I'd even like to try out content call out, we're willing to offer you a free blog post, like I mentioned. So uh, give me a call or maybe just connect with me on LinkedIn. That's probably the best thing to do. So search my name on LinkedIn, Mark Raffin. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Let me know that you listened to Elias's podcast and that you're interested in understanding more about content marketing. And we'd ha be happy to provide a free blog post for you um, at about a thousand words. Very much appreciated, Mark. Thank you for being on the Marketing Technology Podcast. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Marketing Technology Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform or iTunes. Also, if you want to be a guest or know someone that should be a guest to our show, shoot me an email on e.crum at marketingguys.nl. Thank you for listening.